The Plumley Pod, episode 27. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. And welcome back to the Plumley Pod. You didn't expect me to do it over the summer, did you? I'm a teacher. Duh. Of course I was going to have a long and luxurious summer of doing nothing. I'm joking. Of course we don't do nothing. We're teachers. We work all summer. But I wasn't podcasting, so I am now back and very, very happy to be so. Uh, welcome to all the new Gorilla Edders. If you don't know what a Gorilla Edder is, I'm sure you will learn as we move through the weeks. A big shout out to all of those brave souls. We uh, launched a, a massive course over the summer and uh, we are, we're, we're rolling, we're moving. So well done to all you guys and girls out there. Today, I am super excited. I have a special treat for you. I have managed to secure award-winning investigative journalist and documentary filmmaker who has spent 20 years writing for the Irish Independent. She took the Irish government to court with another author and journalist, John Waters. She was the most retweeted journalist in Ireland. She is, of course, the editor of The Light Paper. And I have with me Gemma O'Doherty. Welcome to the podcast, Gemma. Hi, how are you doing? It's great to be here. Absolutely thrilled that you said yes. I have been super excited to talk to you. I heard you on AV12 uh, at the weekend, and I simply had to talk to you. So thank you so much for coming on. Now, you said something. You said lots of things. I encourage the listeners, if you don't know what AV12 is, go and look up alternativeview.co.uk. That's alternativeview.co.uk. Go look it up. Uh, because you will find some fascinating speakers from the weekend, one of which was Gemma. And she said some amazing things. And one of my favourites was, quote, the Irish, I see the Irish as the most dumbed down people in Europe. Now, I, I had to run into the other room and write it on my on my whiteboard because I, I thought it was wicked. In, in that, um, I think the English are the most dumbed down people in Europe, but I'm, I'm sure Gemma's going to give us a super argument to the contrary. I, th- I think we probably agree that it's actually everybody who is, uh, who is dumbed down these days. But it, it fascinated me because she was just so honest and outspoken. And it's, it's all the things that I've been thinking. And I, I just had to get her on to ask her, Gemma, why? Why do you think the Irish are the most dumbed down people in Europe? Well, yeah, I don't like to have to say that about my compatriots. But I suppose in the same way the Irish, the the English and the Americans have been dumbed down, uh, they had to target those peoples who were contributing the most to the world. And, you know, our three races have been heavily targeted, be it with, you know, chemical dumbing down, for example, the fluoridation of water, which has a very, very um, powerful impact on the IQ. There have been many studies that show that fluoridation of water lowers IQ. Uh, That has been going on in Ireland for decades. And then, of course, the mainstream media, the amount of rubbish that people are subjected to on their televisions every single day, that has obviously contributed fast food culture the drinking culture, you know, you look at UK, Ireland and America and 
all of those influences are very, very heavy in those cultures. So, um, but the Irish, I think, always had an inferiority complex because we were be- between sandwiched between these two big, powerful nations. One of which was our where our colonizers for nearly a millennium. And um, so, you know, having endured hundreds of years under the the crown, we we had that inferiority complex anyway. So we always wanted to be as good as, if not better, than our colonizers. And then, you know, the very very heavily influenced as well by America. So we, you know, when we became wealthy under the Celtic Tiger you know, back in the early 2000s, the Irish got completely carried away. And, you know, they took on all of this debt. It was all about keeping up with the Murphys next door and, you know, getting your apartment in southern Spain or in Bulgaria and getting your second, third car and getting decking and getting an extension. And, you know, that's what happened. It's that they they became materialistic and they lost their souls and they lost their minds in the process. Yeah, that's exactly the things we've been seeing in England. It's the same. We, we say keeping up with the Joneses. You guys are keeping up with the Murphys. But it's really the one of they're one and the same thing, aren't they? It's you said it yourself, materialistic. We've become so materialistic, so obsessed with the new TV, the new car, the the late, even the latest thing, whatever that is in in the fake news media. The, the other people call it the MSN, but I call it what it is, the fake news media. And I, I just find that this is everywhere. This is not you know particular to England. This is not particular to Ireland. I am seeing this. Everywhere. I'm even seeing it in uh, southwest France, where we live very rurally. I'm pleased to say that the teenager has not made it here. Yes, there are obviously children who are of teen age, but there are no teenagers in this part of France, at least not yet. And my observations suggest that this is perhaps because they haven't quite let go of their roots, their, their roots being family and their roots being church. And I, I see that the disease that is the teenager, which for me is the beginning of this uh, materialistic attitude. When, once you hit your teens and you start to experiment with things that, quote unquote, oh, everyone else is doing it. That's where, the, uh, the I remember the, when the mobile phones came in, then they became smartphones. And all of a sudden, these things are pulling our teenagers away from their family. What in particular would you target as, as the main problem with regard to separ- the separation of, of children effectively from their parents? Well, of course, I mean, I, you know, when I said earlier, Sarah, that we contributed the most, what I, I really was getting at there is that we, I suppose, especially the Irish, we, you know, we brought the gospel to so many parts of the world through our religious orders, through the priests and the nuns that left Ireland and went to evangelize the darkest parts of Africa and and other parts of the world that had not experienced Christianity. And so, you know, we know that we are in a godless world at the moment. At least God is being shunned by the state and that that is the entire purpose of the state. It's the entire purpose of the education system to remove God and once children are put into the state education system, they will be taught to, you know, that to ridicule God, to ridicule Christianity. And that's what we're seeing um, all of the time, especially in our countries. 
you know, children, when once they start in the state education system, they, um, you know, if they have had any sort of religion at home, any sense of morality, any sense that there is a bigger purpose in life, these questions are, are not to be discussed, in my opinion, from what I can see um, within school anymore. And you see generations of teenagers coming out and they you, you can tell that to them, the concept of God is, you know, something to be sneered at. And unfortunately as well, Sarah, we have so many young parents who think that they can raise children without God in their lives. They think they can do it on their own, but they will be rearing children who will turn into adults who in turn will dump them into nursing homes, um, will possibly euthanize, euthanize them, just, you know, treat them when they are older with the contempt that um, is synonymous with the secular society that we live in and the lack of morality and the lack of respect for our creator. I don't think that answers your question. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, I think you just went for the jugular. I think you went for the main point and didn't hold back, which is what I love about you. You didn't mince about with big tech. You didn't blame Burger King, although we, we both know that these kinds of fast food places and the, the filthy big tech is a, a huge monstrosities of problems for us. You went straight after the schools. And I am so with you, um, so with you on that. I am particularly... I must say that had you just said what you just said to me two years ago, I'm not sure I'd have been fully able to, to take all of that stuff in. It was only when I saw Pastor Art Pulowski from Canada telling the, nut to, to the Gestapo, as he calls them, to get out of his church during Easter that I thought, what's going on here? What is going on here? So from a personal point of view, I, I read my Bible. I don't go to church because the one here isn't even open. I, I think they get a service once every uh, couple of months or something crazy like that. The, it's, uh, it's unbelievable in a, a staunchly Catholic country such as France. But the, there doesn't seem to be very much in the way of guidance and, and spiritual or moral leadership here at all from what I can see. Uh, so I, I, I was very much doing my own thing and minding my business. But then when I saw pastors being carted off to jail in Canada, P Pastor Art Pulaski perhaps being the most uh, prominent one now, I was watching all of this via Rebel News um, I was I, I was shocked and I thought, hang on a minute, why? Why why is the state going after Christian pastors? And that didn't make any sense to me. So I started to look into it and I started to follow it. What would you say are the main reasons why the state needs to be removing people like pastors from the community? What do you think that agenda is all about? Well, the agenda is that um, Christianity has given us our very high standards of living in the West. Without Christianity, we would not have had private property rights. We would not have freedom of speech. We would not have freedom of expression. We would not have the right to bodily integrity. We would not have all of the very high standards that the West has, is synonymous with, that are synonymous with the West. So people don't like to recognize that fact, but I, I'm very happy to debate with anybody, you know, was it something else that gave us our freedom? No, it wasn't. And also we know that all, all of our beautiful cathedrals and 
the beautiful architecture that we have all around Europe was inspired by the love of God. So I've been to many other countries around the world. I've been to Islamic countries. I've been to Israel. I've been, you know, to Africa. I'm sure you're well-traveled too. And I always, especially when I was younger, came back to the, the fact that it's Christianity, it's Christendom that has done all of this for us. And from an Irish perspective, you know, Ireland was an open air monastery. When St. Patrick, St. Patrick came around 5th, 6th century BC, sorry, AD, obviously. And, um, you know, it was a very pagan, barbaric land then. And the same sort of slaughtering, human sacrifice that we see now was, is, was taking place then. And the Irish took to the gospel that he was spreading automatically. They, they couldn't get enough of it. And they turned their back on pagan ways. And as a result, St. Patrick produced so many monasteries that helped to bring the Enlightenment to all of Europe. And we, you know, we haven't been told the truth about the Enlightenment, the Dark Ages. Everything is the opposite to what we've been told. But St. Patrick and the religious orders that were founded created the first monasteries. And those monasteries allowed people who were poor to, for the first time, you know, to be able to sell their vegetables without any being charged any interest or without being charged outrageous rents. And it was a fair society because God was in control, not uh, the banks as they are now run by the same people who, you know, sadly are responsible uh, for a lot of all of the evils really that have happened to our world since um, Jesus came. And so like it's it's not very it's not very complex really it's um we we have to recognize the attack on christianity has been consistent for 2000 years and before and all that we need to do as solzhenitsyn said is to return to our christian faith because christianity is all about not putting your trust in the state and the state is man. You know, it's about putting your trust in God. Get off your knees. Don't be feeling sorry for yourself. Don't expect handouts from anyone else. You have to fight for your own survival. God will help you. You know, many of our grandparents would have said to us, we had like one of the really Catholic sayings is, oh, sacred heart of Jesus, I put all my trust in you. You know, we were all reared on that when we were told, you know, when you're in bad times or in hard times or going through any sort of heartache or whatever, it was, oh, sacred heart of Jesus, I put all my trust on you. And you pass your troubles on to Jesus. You don't look to the state, you know, to sort them out because then the state becomes big daddy, wants all powerful control over you, thinks that it is God, then you become a slave rather than becoming free, which is what Christianity is about, free will. I love it. That's literally where I got to. Looking at what was going on, particularly in Canada, and the only reason I was looking at Canada was because of, obviously, Pastor Art Pulowski was, his, his video was so big when he's like, get out, you Nazis, you Gestapo, get out. He was screaming at the health authorities and the, the police to get out of his church and power to him for doing that. It got me off my backside and really looking into what was going on. And to me, I could see all of a sudden that the state was absolutely terrified 
of those people who believed in a higher authority. And that's what it boiled down to for me. That's what I saw. I'd never really thought about it before. I'd never really looked into it too much. Uh, I'd had my Sunday schooling with my grandma. We used to go to church. I lost touch with my church in my teens because, um, actually a bit personal, but my my reverend, the vicar, went behind my back uh, to my mother and started to talk about my confirmation without asking me first. And I was quite a mature 11, 12-year-old, whatever I was, probably 12 at the time. And I was furious that he hadn't come to speak to me first about my confirmation because it's about me, isn't it? That's that's my my conversation with God. And actually that's, you know, whilst of course I would have got my mother's permission, she would have absolutely allowed it. I was very unhappy that he'd, he'd gone and done that. Uh, that's like sort of a more personal story, but that's where sort of I, it went slightly wrong for me. And then the next part of the problem, the next barrier to me realizing what this was all about even though I was awake to lots of other things, was when I went to study uh, history at um, secondary school. And constantly in both religious studies and in history lessons, the, the sneering and the laughing at Christianity in particular was unbelievable. It was off the charts. Now, because I wasn't at that time going to church, I kept quiet about it. I wasn't really sure. And to some extent, sadly, I went along with the narrative that, oh, well, Religion was created in the Middle Ages in order to keep the peasants in line. And this is the line that is constantly fed to our young people. And even some quite intelligent history teachers don't even present the alternative argument. Now, to not present an alternative argument in front of uh, young people and teenagers, it's criminal. It's criminal uh, to me looking back. But that's that's where the uh, beginnings of, of... of, of sort of my eyes being closed, if you will, to, to what was going on between the state and the church. That, that's where it happened. It happened in school. And then during A-level, the, it would seem to me that the entire purpose of studying European history is to tell you that, you know, religion was created in the Middle Ages to control the masses, to control the peasants. And that's basically, so you study all of this stuff, Christendom, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, you study all this amazing stuff. And then this is the conclusion. And it's the alternate argument is is often sneered at, laughed at. I actually got screwed over in my A-level history um, coursework because I made the case for Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, being um, not an anachronism, but, you know, being a, a true leader and a real hero. And I didn't do that from a religious point of view. I actually even argued that as somebody who was very secular at the time and I got marked down I got a B instead of an A because I obviously wasn't singing from the the school hymn sheet or the the, the nation's hymn sheet but I now realize what all that was about but I didn't notice it I literally woke up with regard to the fight between the state and the church I literally only saw it in the in in the real world physically when the the pastors were being dragged off the streets and literally jailed for for speaking the bible I'm like what what in liberal western democracies you can't speak the words of the Bible. You get lobbed in jail. What are you talking about? And that, for me, that has taken me such a long time to put all the pieces together. And it was only because they were being dragged off the streets during the COVID hoax that I really started to think properly about it. And they are the state is absolutely terrified of those who believe in a higher authority. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, there's, there's absolutely no no question. And that's why they have to get into the minds of, of children. And, you know, yes, the sneering in Ireland in particular, it's really, really horrific. And these people are so weak, you know, because I often say to them when they sneer about Christianity, would you sneer at Muhammad like that? Would you be so brave as to come out and uh, ridicule Islam. And they wouldn't because they know what the consequences would be. But you see, 
you know, we say that uh, tolerance and apathy are the final virtues of a dying society. And I suppose Catholicism in Ireland has become very apathetic and very tolerant. And they, you know, the average dumbed down Catholic thinks that, ah, should we better bring in half the world to Ireland because, you know, we're Christian. And in fact, that is the most unchristian thing you can do because charity begins at home and you're giving away your child's future by inviting half of Ukraine into Ireland. Um, it's the, you know, you get the climate hoax all the time. at Ma- If you go to the New World Order churches, I really don't anymore. The traditional mass is making a big comeback in Ireland. And that is where you will find sustenance in your faith. You know, we've the beautiful Gregorian chant and, you know, the, the lovely, just it's the real celebration of the Last Supper as it was just supposed to be. But they're getting this propaganda indoctrination all the time in these New World Order churches. And, uh, you know, being told that, I mean, they've actually, Sarah, started hanging big globes in Catholic churches in Ireland now to remind people, oh, the planet, the planet, the planet. And it's sacrilegious. Like we know as Catholics, you know, the catechism doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. One of the reasons I've stuck with my Catholic faith, what I love about Catholicism is that the rules don't change. You cannot kill the child that is growing in your womb under any circumstances. And that's the beginning and end of it. That does not mean that you would save a child's life over a mother's life. Absolutely not. Catholicism does not say that. You strive to save both lives and the mother, any mother who's expecting a baby, wants their baby to survive. In the Catholic hospitals, they fight for the baby as well as the mother. Um, and, you know, as well within like the, the, the whole culture of Catholicism, you cannot experiment on humans no matter what. You cannot give humans experimental vaccines. Humans are not guinea pigs. And uh, so that's why I have stuck with it. And also because, you know, we introduced divorce, one of the last countries to um, you know, fairly recently, really. And abortion was only introduced about three years ago. And up until then, Ireland, you know, our society was intact and people knew where they stood morally, you know, and we knew that abortion was a sin and we knew that breaking up the family was a bad idea. It would be bad for society. And it would mean that more people would become reliant on the state and state handouts um, and they would fall into poverty, etc. Um, and we've seen, you know, what has happened in the UK and Ireland, or sorry, the UK and America over the last 20, 30 years. We've seen that happening in, in Ireland now. And to me, it's just devastating because, again, it's all part of the dumbing down of the culture. You know, anything goes, you can start a new family, you can, you know, bring in a new man or woman into your children's lives, not understanding the impact that that has on them, not putting the child first. And, you know, again, we see all of this um, parents really looking for babysitting services, seeing the school as a babysitting service, dumping their children into creches at the, you know, year they're barely born and they have them signed up to the creche. And uh, parents increasingly are are abandoning their children to the state 
and they're going to pay a heavy price for it. There is no heavier price, of course, than uh, you know your your child being slaughtered by the state via abortion. I didn't know. For all the people who you know might be sniggering and sneering about the, the funny concept of uh, not being pro-abortion, well, I'm sorry, but the things I learned during the Roe versus Wade case, I had no idea what an abortion really was. Even even now, I'm ashamed to say because the propaganda. And the programming is so strong and it comes from schools. I didn't know what an abortion even was until I was probably about year nine, about 12 or 13, say, at yeah. secondary school. And they they have this fake kind of debate in um, sort of relationship sex education, or they might have called it um, PSE, or they might have called it even, dare, they dare call it religious studies, uh, which is a, <laughs> I don't know, how, I don't quite know how that works. But in any case, they, they give you this fake stuff about, you know, the woman must choose and they, they give the whole line about, um, oh, but what if the woman might die? What then? And they, they make up all these false scenarios in order to lead you down one avenue. There is no genuine debate. There is no genuine two sides of it. And worse than that, they don't even, if you're going to debate abortion, you better damn well know what one constitutes. You better damn well know what actually takes place. And if you haven't seen the videos on uh, YouTube or wherever you go for your videos, people, you need to go and, before you open your trap about abortion, and I'm I'm having a go at myself here because I I was lied to I was programmed and I am ashamed that I was ever uh, even moderately in favour of the woman's choice as they put it it's not the woman's choice at all go and research what actually takes place during abortions and listen to uh, the the doctors who, who've who've performed them and are in repenting or explaining to to us what really takes place and. You need to at least know this information before you start making fundamental decisions about life, morality. How can you, without being given the proper information, how can you possibly make any kind of informed decision? And I I am so annoyed and so angry that uh, schools think it's perfectly fine to present it as a fait accompli as it is presented uh, in schools, that, that you know abortion is a must. And the, the, the game really got given away for me when the same people who were screeching about my body, my choice regarding abortion were for, were for in favour of compulsory or mandatory vaccination. Oh. I mean, that my, my logical brain exploded at that point. I mean, how, how can you, can you help me? Can you, can you explain this, this, this retarded degeneracy? Well, I mean, look, they're the biggest hypocrites of all. My body, my choice, yes, but there's two bodies involved in a pregnancy. And there's also a man who plays a significant role as well. But we have created, well, we haven't, but the state has created generations of women now who are prepared to kill their young. Even in the animal kingdom, that is very, very rare. When you are prepared as a woman to kill your young or to justify the killing of your of the young, then you've become a psychopath. You've lost what it means to be human. You've lost reason, you've lost truth, you've lost logos, you've lost the connection with the creator. And I do believe there is going to be accountability one day. You know, we as Christians believe in judgment day. And um, it's absolutely pathetic. I mean, we kept abortion out. We had in our constitution, which is written unlike yours in the UK, an actual clause saying that the right to life of the unborn is equal to the mother's life. 
that was to ensure that we did not go down this road because we could see that in the UK and the US, abortion had become a, contra- a form of contraception. And it's the, one of the greatest weapons because any I've interviewed since they started bringing the whole abortion thing into Ireland, you know, I instinctively wanted to hear the pro-life side and the other side, but increasingly I felt these are not women who are looking for reproductive health choices. They're just mentally ill and they've got themselves involved in very stupid relationships. And again, the Catholic education that we had from nuns, you know, women who had self-respect, who were dignified, and they told us, look, you know, they taught us, don't get involved with losers. They mightn't have said that um, directly in so many words, but you know, generally the Catholic ed- education was about having self-respect, respect for your body, not throwing it around, making good choices about your your future husband, looking for somebody who would respect you, who would provide companionship, financial security, and um, be a good father and husband. And these are the values that were instilled into us. Um, they're not getting any of that now anymore because they've taken religion out. So, you know, women, of course, were told get into the workforce, you know, that you're second class citizens compared to men, uh, women who chose to stay at home and fulfill their most important role, which is a mother, and to be with their children in the, the formative years. They were ridiculed, laughed out of existence. But then, of course, putting women into the workforce just resulted in men's wages being cut dramatically, forcing women out in many ways. And then the state was able to get their hands on their children and, you know, turn them into little communists and and um, people who would, you know, oh, I'll just abort my baby. I mean, I, I've never met a person who had an abortion who hasn't spent the rest of their lives either mentally ill or regretting it. And you never hear these stories on the mainstream media. You never do. I mean, I have interviewed people, the hardest cases in cases in abortion, cases of rape, for example. And I interviewed one young doctor who had been raped. She was Canadian, I think, or American. And she'd been raped by a black guy in America. And she had her little boy. And, you know, he didn't look anything like her, really. But she that child was her be all and end all and you know she would never give never ever give him back even though he was the product of a very vicious sexual assault and you know i often say to people how many irish people were born out of rape do they not deserve to be here can we say you should all be exterminated you should never have been born just because you're the subject of of you're innocent in a rape situation. So it's not about cruelty. It's about preserving human dignity. When we start killing the young, the most precious form of life in the place where they should be safest, their mother's womb, it's over for humanity. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And UK and the US and the other countries that introduced it decades before Ireland, you know, we've seen they've just been plummeting into the depths of hell ever since. And Ireland, three years into it, like once that that deal was done, 
And I would say the vote was rigged. But once that was done, it was over for Ireland. We became profoundly immoral. I think it's fascinating that you raise the mental health aspect of those that have decided to have an abortion and how that affects them later psychologically, because I think that's not too dissimilar to, for example, servicemen and women who go and kill people. So they come back from war, and although their boss, their sergeant or whatever, told them to go and shoot that person and they did it and it was moral and just because they're the good guys, right? Something happens to these guys. An awful lot of soldiers have PTSD. And I don't think enough has been done to investigate where that goes. Now, regardless of scientific studies that can be rigged and all the rest of it, we only need to look uh, at the likes of literature. Um, Dostoevsky has already figured this out in his novel Crime and Punishment, whereby I'm I'm going to like paraphrase and and screw up the plot slightly, so I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to take the essence of it out here and say that when you take a life, even if you murder a murderer, So let's say there's a murderer, and I know that he or she is going to murder somebody tonight, and I go and murder the murderer so that they can't murder somebody else. That still will have a... Even though I murdered somebody who was going to murder somebody else, taking a life will still have a profound effect on me, no matter how, quote-unquote, morally justified that may seem to have been. I I think we have to go much, much further. These these books have already been written. We already know this stuff, but we're not doing our homework anymore. We're disregarding all of the great literature uh, and all 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 of these great works where these things have been figured out. Mm-hmm. Like, t- if you take a life, I believe that has a huge psychological effect on you, regardless of the circumstances. Absolutely, especially a precious baby. I mean, you know, we we know how advanced the fetus is, and it, I, I just feel that these women must be haunted for years. But yes, at the other end of the scale, war, you know, these wars, we're realising now these wars that were fought, they were fought on behalf of the Jewish bankers, to make money, the Ukrainian cases, that, that's a classic case in point. We know that the wars between our two countries, especially in Northern Ireland, that they were MI5 run operations where so-called Irish Republicans were working hand in hand with the British Crown to, cre- to continue the division between people. And, you know, every November... In England, you know, we see these um, memorial celebration um, commemorations for these young soldiers who walked off to France and Germany and and died, abandoning their families. God help them, you know. And they were lined up to get vaccines then, and we know that in many cases they died as a result of that as well, especially in America. And is there any difference really between those men who died for what? Because we've been lied to about First World War, Second World War completely. Everything we've been told about those wars is a lie. And those poor men, you know, the sacrifice, what was the sacrifice, really? It's the same thing as those people who today roll up their sleeves and get an experimental vaccine, thinking they're doing it for the good of others, but they're not. And they're doing it for some sort of virtue signaling and because they're they're completely deluded. So we really have to just get back to the divine order. And, you know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. The Ten Commandments are the moral code and the ultimate moral code. And everything is in them 
that is all we need. You know, we really don't need state laws in a way, because if we lived by the Ten Commandments, then there would be no crime. There would be no adultery. There would be no family breakup. There would be not so much less suffering and children would be much better protected. You know, it's all there. God gave us everything we need, uh, but we've turned our backs in on him. And the punishment this time around is going to be severe. And only through suffering can we come back to God. Suffering brings us closer to God. And that's why he allows suffering. And we're going to lose what we built up in the West all of the very high standards of living, that's all going to be taken from us until we realize that uh, by walking away from our creator, we've allowed and we've, you know, we're living in the state of sin by doing everything that we're doing to ourselves, which is so evil. Well, you said it a little earlier with the uh, schools turning children into little communists. It's being used as a creche or advanced babysitting services for slightly older children. And you're absolutely spot on. And, and the thing that's so striking, uh, David Scott talked about this when he came on the podcast, was the fact that the theory of evolution, as taught in schools, cannot be questioned. They will not let you question it. And this is, well, that's fundamental to your worldview. So, All of the schools teach, via the national curriculum, the theory of evolution. And they don't teach it like it's a theory. And they don't present the other side of the argument at all. And they don't allow you to point out the obvious problem with um, elements like the Big Bang. Like, I I thought I was probably a bit retarded because I didn't understand. Like, I wasn't being funny. I wasn't just asking questions to be smart or for the sake of it. I was asking questions at school because I wanted to know I wanted to know things. I wanted to find things out. And I didn't understand. And I, I literally thought it was because I was stupid. I didn't understand how, if what they were saying about the Big Bang was true, well, where did the stuff come from to make the Big Bang? And I know that's a very retarded argument, but actually it's turned out over the course of the years to actually be a legitimate argument. Now, I might not have phrased it terribly well, but that was my very young self asking actually a legitimate question and being shamed and embarrassed, thinking I'm retarded because I don't understand the theory. Because the theory of evolution and and the Big Bang theory, I'm going, I've I've sort of crossed over now, but talking about the big, just about the Big Bang theory first, it doesn't ever address that. It doesn't ever address that question. And it's a primary school age child question. And, they, yeah. and and as an adult, I'm still waiting for an answer. Was I the retarded well, I mean, one or what? You, you have articulated the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, who talked about the first cause. Like, you know, when you talk to a child today that has been educated in the state system and they say Big Bang, or, you know, you say, well, OK, but OK, let's talk about, so your parent, where did your parents come from? My grandparents, where did your grandparents come? My great grandparents, where, you know, and you keep bringing them back and they have to accept that everything has a cause. And that was really the theory of of one of our greatest Catholic saints, St. Thomas Aquinas. And of course, you know, that they cannot dispute that, that everything has a cause. But also, if you look at nature and the beauty of nature, the beauty of a perfect flower, the order we look at this time of year, nature is just continuing. It's unbelievable cycle. We can't understand how it happens with such perfect timing, despite all of the chemical interventions, the geoengineering and the spraying of our soil, you know, but how the trees are starting to turn this beautiful golden and, you know, 
nature is so unbelievable. There's absolutely no way that nature does not have a divine order to it. And we see it in children. The, you know, we see it in ourselves. We see it in other people. We are created in the likeness of God. And there's just no way that a random explosion we see in animals. I mean, I often, I'm a horsewoman and, you know, it's often through horses that I've had that connection with God because with horses and with most animals, I think cats or dogs, when you're with them, it's all about them and they want to take you away from the material world, you know, and they're so humble and they're so much in need of your love. And to look into a horse's face, to see the order, the perfection, the beauty, and the same with dogs or cats or any animal. And I, like I've always said, there's no way that these animals were created as a result of a random explosion. It's impossible. So when we connect with these wonderful divine creations that are all around us, this beautiful hymn, I believe it's English, all things bright and beautiful, the Lord God made them all, and that the beautiful words of that, every little insect, everything in nature has a role, it has a purpose. And we want to obliterate all of that, really. You know, we, we don't see that we are all part of one divine creation. And the people that run this world, Sarah, they are very, very keen to bring us into this virtual digital prison and forget about all that stuff. It's pathetic and it's very sad. Sorry now if I'm rambling, but it's so obvious that we have a creation. Oh, yeah. They, they, want your, they want your children locked in the metaverse forever. They want your children with the headsets on, uh, their muzzles on, and they want them in this fake reality of a fake reality, like a second life within a second life within a second life. It is sick. Now, I'm going to upset a few people here by, I don't really care about that. I'm sorry. I don't. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, I think is probably going to be what's going to be on my tombstone. Um, but I, I, as a mathematician, I'm not a, 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 any kind of champion mathematician. God, no, I'm no kind of genius. But I am a little bit maths, a little bit logic. As a mathematics teacher, you would expect that. So I upset people because they, they say, well, you're into science, you're, you're maths and science. So how can you be, how can you tolerate faith and religion and all of this stuff? Well, I'm sorry. If you, there's a, I read a book quite some time ago called uh, The Music of the Primes. That's The Music of the Primes by Marcus de Sortoy. And I've probably pronounced his surname wrong, but I'm not sorry about that either. So he wrote this book, The Music of the Primes. And I recall reading it. My, in fact, the, um, my, uh, what would you call it? My, my fiance, who I later married, he became my husband. He bought me this book and I read it. Uh, he, he, he'd never read it, but it's about the, the prime numbers. Now, the prime numbers in mathematics are a great mystery because there's no sequence. There's no pattern. And yet we, every time we find a new one, uh, there's uh, an awful lot of money is made because these prime numbers are extremely useful. Now, taking it back to nature, there are certain uh, types of creatures that, for example, I was reading about some uh, a certain type of ant that only comes out on prime number years. So it only, prime numbers, for those who are thinking, oh my God, what's she talking about? They're just numbers that can only be divided by themselves and one. So take seven, like nothing goes into seven, only one and seven. Whereas six, you have one and six, sure, but you have two and three. So what Marcus Asoritoy shows is that the, this species of 
of Ant would die. It would completely fail to exist if it came above ground on any of the other years. So it can only come above, this species of ant can only come, come above the surface during prime years. So like seven, and then it can't come back out until 11. And if it did, it would be extinct because the, um, the creature that would eat the ants would, would, would completely wipe them out. So how, who's figured that out then? Like, how did, how did that, because let's face it, if, if um, the theory of evolution is correct, well, those ants would have come out on an even number. They would have come out on the ninth year and been completely obliterated and they wouldn't exist. Their, their, their entire species would be gone. So, how, like, so that is, that's creation, isn't it? Is, isn't, hasn't, that, that's design, surely. That's, yeah. I mean, it's a bit complex. I, I, I can't see it any other way. I, I can't. The most intelligent mathematicians in the world can't figure it out. Well, I I mean, my head is exploding at the idea of it. But I think that that is the consolation of of our faith, that our faith is a mystery. Our knowledge is limited. We are not God. And we have to accept that we're humans and we are prone to sin. We should try to to live like Jesus, to use him as our role model, but to accept we cannot understand everything and maybe someday everything will be explained to us in when we if we go to heaven but in this earth we just have to strive for what is right and just and true and honest as much as we can and it's difficult but we have to accept the limits of our knowledge and and you know again catholicism provides consolation because we we it's the mystery the, there is mystery in this world we we cannot explain some things. And unfortunately, the so-called scientists think that they can, but they run into this problem all the time as well. And what is their answer? Well, we're not going to talk about it. We're not, for example, the COVID SARS-CoV-2 virus apparently has never been isolated. I did a freedom of information request to our government and they came back and said, no, we have never isolated or purified this virus. So therefore, it does not technically exist. When you say that, you are, you know, ridiculed. Well, where's the science then? If it doesn't exist, you know, according to Cox postulates, according to the normal scientific methods, how can you introduce a vaccine for something that doesn't exist? But they don't want to even use their own scientific rules anymore. They, you know, the the scientists are, are clinically, they're, you know, Unfortunately, they're they're psychiatric cases at this stage, and these people are running the world. I have to agree with you. They 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 can't even defend their arguments based on their own version of quote unquote the science. It, exactly. It's an absolute outrage. Yeah. These people are. They won't even. They can't even follow their own logic. I've, I'm still waiting for one of the geniuses, one of these geek boffins, to tell me why you must wear a mask when you stand up in a bar to go to the toilet, but whilst you're sat down at your table, you can take your mask off. Now, I'll just quickly, quickly throw in there that I never wore one and I never will, but I'm I'm still waiting for somebody, some scientist, to tell me what the science is. Well, what science is that based on? It's completely ridiculous. And I actually read a study Uh, It was the first time I'd gone to a a proper scientific study on the internet. It was on the CDC website, so it probably wasn't proper at all. It was for the Centre for Disease Control. It was uh, roughly May 2020. 
And it was, anal- it was a meta-study, a meta-analysis of uh, PPE in non-pharmaceutical settings. And basically, it was, try- it was trying to figure out, looking back at all of the previous studies on, does, uh, do, for example, does a mask work if it's used in the community rather than just in a hospital? And the conclusion was obviously no. But what struck me the most was in the, in the very beginning of the study, it's, it has this phrase, and I'll quote it, it says, it is believed that influenza virus is passed from human to human by means of droplets. Now, I might have just um, paraphrased that last little section, but the, the, the words, it is believed that, I am quoting verbatim. Now, hang on a second, hang on a second. These scientists that worship the science say that belief has no place in science. So how can they... So basically, they're saying that they have no idea how uh, virus is passed from one human to another. They have no idea how that is because they believe that it's through droplets. They, although if they knew, they would be able to cite the study where it had been proven. That's right. What is that about? And why wasn't it in the media? Oh, look, I mean, I, I do think part of it, though, is to see how stupid the, the, the masses have become. Like they they carry out these experiments on us just to see how many will comply and go along with the non- and how, you know, because they obviously need to test how stupid people are and how effective their dumbing down process has been. So, you know, we had this thing in Ireland, I think you you could only buy a nine euro meal and go into a restaurant buy a nine. I can't even remember the whole thing. It's so stupid. But the virus obviously knew that if you were buying a meal that was only eight euros, then you were more likely to get the virus. Whereas if you got a nine euro meal, but look, I mean, Sarah, you know, for example, like it's been lashing rain all day here today. Some people will look at that and say, oh, climate change. But if we stop, like if we don't have a log fire tonight or if we turn off our gas then the rain will stop. You know, this is what they've been telling us. This is what they're trying to indoctrinate young people with. You know, you freeze and starve yourself and eat insects and the weather will change. You will be able to change the weather by eating insects and not driving anymore. And people suck it up. They believe it because they've lost their reason. They've lost their logos. That's the word that... I've learned it through mainly through the works of E. Michael Jones. It, it's reason, it's connection with the Creator. The Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh. And everything once we have that that connection with our Creator, we don't lose touch with our reason. Do you know, as a in all my professional career as a teacher, when I was actually still teaching in schools, I was a secondary school teacher in England, in both the North and the South. I cannot recall a single teaching colleague of of faith, a sing a single colleague, and I always kept very quiet. I don't talk, I don't really talk about it. It's probably the first time I've talked publicly about faith actually in any in any great detail with anybody. So thank you for thank you for accompanying me uh, on, on that. But I, I just. It strikes me as odd that no, none of the teachers, I must have worked with hundreds of teachers over my career, and, and yet not, not, a sing, not a single one, not a single one making the case. Even many of the religious studies teachers or religious education teachers don't have any faith at all. Like, how can the other side of the argument ever be presented to children if, you know, if that's the case? And clearly, yeah. that's, not, that's not 
what they're trying to do. They're not trying to educate your children in schools at all. They're trying to indoctrinate them and they're doing a really good job of it. I know that children are not born asleep. All of these truthers in the truther industrial complex, so-called truthers, are going around trying to wake people up. Well, if we hadn't let them put the children to sleep in the sodding first place, then we wouldn't have this problem at all now, would we? Now, I find it alarming that since I've got on this bandwagon, I have a saying that your children can either be educated or schooled and that these things are mutually exclusive. You can either be schooled or you can be educated, but it can't be both. The state gets its power from schooling. The people gets its power from education. But I can't get these big, these big people, these big platform truthers to talk about this. And I don't understand why not, because I, I am convinced that if we stopped giving, handing the children over to the demonic system itself. You're handing your children over to the state every morning. What do you expect the state to do with them? They're going to tell them to vote. They don't care who they vote for, they just got to vote. They're going to tell them about climate change and that all the polar bears are going to be dead. Well, they've been saying that forever and they're still not dead. In fact, we've got more polar bears than we've we've had in a long lot since the, like the 1970s or something. The ice is, is, we've never had such brilliant ice in Greenland again for decades. So your, your children are literally being taught statism. That is it. They are being indoctrinated by the system. And what I don't understand, and maybe you shed some light on this or, or, or even just an opinion I'd be grateful for, is why are the big people not talking about the state indoctrination centres? Why are these conversations not being had? I, I literally don't get it. Well, I think because the other side, you know, as you perfectly call it, the truth or industrial complex, they're working for the same boss. You know, they're they're reliant on the the financial the funding. And if we look at the big truth or channels, for example, Steve Bannon is a classic case in point. Anyone who's still on the Trump train, for example, Trump, the father of the vaccine, that's what he called himself. And, you know, we all were sucked in by Trump, I suppose, in many ways, those of us who are of conservative leaning, because he definitely, well, he, from my perspective, he, he was the first pro-life president in a long time. He was seeming to want to deal with child trafficking. He was definitely somebody who did not want to start wars. So he he definitely had a good influence. But I'm sorry, the vaccine, no way. And, you know, his time has cut. It's over. His day is done. But look, if there was any real choice, then they wouldn't offer us elections at all. The election systems around the world are completely rigged. Politics is designed to divide people. That's what its function is. Without the division between people, be it black and white, be it Catholic, Protestant, be it uh, all of the different, you know, man and woman, all the different divisions that they've created, if they can't keep all that going, then the game fails for them. So that's why you need to keep these people, you know, they're not going to start promoting homeschooling. They're not going to start saying, look, politics is a failed sport. It's run by the enemy. So we have to walk away from it. Uh, Like, for example, there's there's pushing, you know, Farage, the truth industrial complex is is pushing Farage. Farage, who uh, his big thing is down at the channel and, and the migrants coming in. Big deal. You know, he's he pushed the vaccine. He's got the vaccine. So how I don't understand it. 
Um, they're not the real deal. And that's very upsetting. But I was saying to somebody yesterday that there's now going to be three movements. There's going to be the hard left, the globalists, the commies, the, you know, the anti-God people, the people who want state to be God. There's going to be the truth industrial complex led by the likes of Steve Bannon, you know, people that we thought, yeah, they these guys are the real deal, but they're not. They want to keep us in that prison and then there will be us. And I think, you know, we will be the people who say the only way back is God. We have to become Christian again. And that is our only way out. And these people on the right in the truth or industrial complex, they talk about Christ, you know, but they don't really they don't really know what they're talking about. You know, a lot of them are from evangelical churches that have absolutely no concept of like the real teachings of Christ. And they're coming from a new age perspective. And uh, they talk about things like Christ consciousness, which is a load of gibberish. And until people go back to the true faith, which is Catholicism, it's the apostolic tradition. It's from Jesus to St. Peter, down the apostles, the saints, all of the actual truth, rather than all these new age, born again churches, which lead people astray and teach things that are not Christian. So, but I do think because I've recently, Sarah, been going down the route of, you know, looking at the Holocaust and how we were lied to about the Holocaust and how the Jewish people have created this privilege around themselves. And we're not allowed to look at the fact that they control us financially and have done for 2000 years plus. I've seen uh, the truth movement is a lie. It's a lie. And very, very few people are willing to look at that. And we can't understand what happened to Europe until we look at what happened to the germ, the breaking of the German people by the Zionist military industrial complex and Jewish money, Jewish banking. It's right there. Um, I, I nearly made a, an enormous faux pas. Uh, I didn't realise, but I was confused genuinely. I, I actually have a thing called a dictionary and I look up the meaning of words in it because that's what we're supposed to do if you want to learn things, right? And I didn't, I was confused about why it's called the Holocaust because mm. uh, there have been lo lots of uh, much larger genocides and or democides, depending on how you want to categorize them in history. And I'm not saying that to demean anything or to, to argue about numbers or anything like that, but I was, I was legitimately confused as to why we had a the, uh, because I thought it was very disrespectful, actually, to the suffering, as a, as a minimum going in position. It's, I find that deeply disrespectful to uh, all of the other people who have, have suffered um, uh, monstrous, monstrous things. But I think the clue with regard to, I, I'm not trying to step away from this, but I just want to, I didn't want to miss out on that truth or industrial complex point that we, that we had there. For me, one of the clues as to who's real and who's not is those that are still talking about politics, the left, right, or communist versus, um, oh, I'm going to lose it, communist versus fascist or whatever. Those people yeah. that are still locked in this left, right thing, that's just football, ladies and gentlemen. It's Punch and Judy. It's United City. It's Arsenal, Chelsea. It's Liverpool, Everton. It's blue versus red. What are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? You're still playing the game. You think you're clever because instead of arguing about Liverpool, Everton, you think you're smart because you're argue arguing from a conservative position or from a Labour position. Or you think you're super clever because you're talking about communism. Uh, versus fascism. 
you're all you're all completely stupid. You, you, and, and you're worse because at least the footballists know they're just footballists. And I can say that I have a long history of refereeing football, playing football um, at a decent level. And I just like guys, come on! I, like you, you have to grow up. Stop this. This is a deliberate control mechanism. Absolutely, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's how they do it. That's how the new world order you know, manage to keep us enslaved by dividing us. And yeah, that blue-red divide is absolutely, look at look at what happened in our country. You know, we were all Christians here, Catholic, Protestant, but they tried, even we believed in the same God, we just had a different approach to it. They created all this mayhem on this island. They put in a, a fake border and, uh, you know, like we now have more in common with, with unionists, for example, because at least they've continued to be pro-life and, you know, generally very upstanding Christians. They may not have the same belief in the Eucharist that we do, but, you know, so it, it's divide and conquer and it's all about making money for the bankers and keeping, you know, the possibility of these wars going. And that's how they do it, keeping them rich and us enslaved. And depopulation, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, that's pretty much in your face, isn't it, right, right about now? And um, thank you so much for your analysis. I really appreciate that. And I, I, think, I think you're on the money. I really do. In particular, there's, there's, what, some, there's one thing that I, I, I was just checking on my board behind me because I really did run in here and scribble notes on Sunday when I, when I heard you speak. I was like, oh, I must ask about this. I mustn't forget. And I was just checking. I, there is something I'd forgotten. Um, probably there's more. You might have something more for me. But from my list, I just have unicorns. I just have unicorns. You said something fascinating about why unicorns are the top-selling uh, cuddly toy or whatever, or why, why children are being encouraged down the unicorn route. Could you just... For the parents who are listening and the grandparents are listening, please, can you just explain to them a little bit more about that? Well, because unicorns have no gender and they're hoping that your child will have no gender or will have 60 genders and will be confused about basic things like sex, which, you know, are so clear and obvious. Um, so that that's what that is about. And, you know, I was making the point that as soon as they dump these poor little newborns into the state-run creches, that the first toy that they're handed is a unicorn to confuse them. And that's all happening not by accident. You know, it's not a coincidence. Nobody in my in my generation was handed a unicorn when we first went to play school. What about you? No, we, it was Tiny Tears and uh, Chatty Cathy. And we knew as girls that we would like to play with dolls. And we didn't really want to, you know, be out playing in the muck. Maybe if we were a bit tomboyish. But generally, we knew what boys were supposed to do. They were, when they got older, supposed to look after us and do all the things that we couldn't do. And uh, we were supposed to look after the dollies and the babies and pass down the culture, you know, nurture the young. And, you know, there's a reason why children don't start to walk. Babies don't start to walk for a year or so because, you know, all that time, they're learned, they're being emotionally nurtured mostly by the mother. It's different in the animal world. You know, horses get up and walk pretty much immediately as soon as they're born uh, because they don't have to go through all of this social learning that we as humans do, you know, and the nurturing that we need. And that's the role of the mother in the very early, in the formative years 
of the child. So, yeah, it's important that children are given, girls are given dolls. And, oh, you know, we were told this is all reinforcing stereotypes. That's what girls want, you know, and that's what boys want. They don't want to be going around in pink dresses and let boys be boys, let girls be girls. And just let's just go back to the way things used to be before the planet goes even crazier. It's the attack on the children that I'm hoping is going to wake more people up or, or, or actually not so much just wake more people up. Those people who are awake or consider themselves to be awake, make them take action because young children are literally being handed unicorns, literally being handed handed a genderless creature. Uh, wakey, wakey, boys and girls. And another thing that occurs to me over that's uh, happened over the last two years was that bait and switch they did with the rainbow. So the NHS, they were making children draw rainbows and pretty pictures for the, the, the National Homicide Service. Did, did I say that right? Uh, the NHS in, uh, in, in, in the UK. And um, so maybe I said that wrong, sorry. Um, they work for Harmer. Do you pronounce the P? I forget. Anyway, anyway, so they were making the children. <laughs> they were, they, it is a silent P. Yes, thank you. I thought so. Very good. Farm Harmer is is, is 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 the P is silent. Yes, I'm I'm with you on that. Let's spread it. <laughs> but um, with with the children, I they were getting them to draw these pictures of of the angels um, and all of these uh, rainbows everywhere, and it something it, it, something chilled me. It suddenly occurred to me that these children obviously have been through some sort of traumatic experience because the adults are all freaking out about. Uh, some strange disease or whatever, and that does affect children when they when they see adults not in control of themselves or doing strange things. That's very dangerous for children. So they must be there. Must be like a generation of children now who've been traumatized, and they were at the time of their trauma. They're drawing rainbows. Now rainbows are the uh, have have been stolen by the LGBT whatever the hell. Let's just say the alphabet people because I can't keep up with that whatever is it, I, I, whatever, they have stolen it. And, and I wonder if in the future, this, these children who, who are children now who grow up to be adults won't ever uh, allow anybody to question the rainbow flag and anything that's hidden or protected behind it because of the trauma they experience. Because they have this view that the NHS is the rainbow and they're the heroes. And it's kind of been like cross-planted in a way with, with the LGBTQ thing. Now, I, I haven't fully obviously thought through this this. Uh, I haven't written a thesis on it yet, let's just say that. But I've, I've been thinking about, that. It, it seems to me very creepy that they use the rainbow with the NHS that sort of has been stolen by the LGBTQ. The LGBTQ people stole the rainbow from God a long time ago. And now the NHS have it too. And I wondered that when they were getting the children to draw the rainbows, they were doing it in schools and they were doing it at home. And I just wonder, is, is that a setup for later? Are they setting it up as uh, you cannot quite, you already, already can't question that rainbow but that freaking rainbow flag. And I, I, I worry that that is literally the flag of the Fourth Reich. And there I said it. Well, if that's all it was, <laughs> but I, I worry that it's a lot worse than that even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, look, these people are pedophiles. If you're talking to very little children about sex, then you're a pedophile and you should be in jail. Beginning and end of it. And but again, it's all about the depopulation, because if you start telling children to be gay when they're three and four and five and glorifying gay and having drag queen story time in your nursery, then, you know, more than likely those children are not going to reproduce. And 
then you've got your depopulation agenda working out very well for you. So it's all very, very clever. You know, it is very, very clever. Like there's no question this HPV vaccine that they were giving to, they are giving to teenage girls, that's a sterilizing agent. That will be fully exposed in in, in the fullness of time. But um, that's what it's about. It's depopulation. That's what LGBT is about. If you create, you know, but it's not working as well. It's not working because most people are attracted to the opposite sex because they're in connection with their divine nature and man and woman together to reproduce, to procreate, go forth and multiply. So they're not going against their innate nature. Homosexuality is going against God's design, natural design. When you go against nature, Mother Nature bites back. Yeah, all this garbage about having to protect Mother Nature. It's like, are you kidding me? She is well capable of protecting herself. If you've ever been on the sea you, you in, a, in a storm, you will know full well that Mother Nature's Mother Nature's got this. I, I don't think uh, we we have a, a rather a large garden here, and my goodness me, does Mother Nature know what she's doing? Like just to, we have to fight it every year just to keep it looking vaguely presentable, uh, and and, va- and you know, vaguely um, profitable for us in in terms of fruits and and you know we, we grow some of our own and that sort of stuff. It, it, the work that goes into it, she is well capable. She nearly took back two two fields whilst we were uh, stranded because it caused pandemic um, back in 2020. We came back to, you know, what's something that looked like the Serengeti. It was horrendous. So Mother Nature, even despite the chemtrails and all the garbage, she is well capable of, of and, and she would be because she's been designed that way. She's been created that way. Um, I just, you know, for me, it's, we, ha- we have to stop the indoctrination of the young if, if we can't protect the children, then what are we? What are we? We have to stop them going through the indoctrination process because if we don't, then that's on us. That's on all of us if we do not protect the children. No, absolutely. And I, I know we were supposed to talk about homeschooling. I'll, I'll just very briefly say that in Ireland, <laughs> what has happened is a lot, a lot of traditional Catholics have taken their children out years ago. And I often meet these children and they, you know, you can see the difference, like they're able to communicate. They're not on the phone. They're very polite, respectful, and they're just like children used to be. But there is a problem in that that is a very cliquish group of people and the traditional Catholics who are homeschooling, they just can be a little bit exclusive and failing to see that they have a role to get out into the schools, to do more, to try and let people, other people see what they are doing. Like they are, a lot of them are very afraid that their children are going to be taken from them. You know, I see this sort of a sheepishness in them sometimes that They just want to keep it low key and they don't really want anyone to know about what they're doing. And um, it is scary for them, you know, when when child care services can come after them. But that's one problem, Sarah, that I've noticed. And I would say to anyone listening from Ireland or the UK, you know, that if you are homeschooling, try to preach the word more and to encourage other parents to do what you're doing, because it's frightening how few people will are still willing are willing to do it, you know. 
Well, they have all of the resources on their side because the evidence of their work is clear for all to see because their children are beautifully behaved. They don't use foul language. They're not addicted to phones. Some of them don't even have smartphones because smartphones folks ain't smart. And, it, you know, they, they've got uh, all of the good stuff is on their side because you can literally spot a, um, a well-behaved child a mile away these days because... They're, they're not. They're not. They're pretty few and far between. I have to say, and, and it, it's when you start looking at why that might be, it, it unravels very, very quickly. So you know, power to the home educators. I'm, I'm a bit funny about this. I'm, I'm so. I call them. I call it home education because you can either be educated or schooled. Schooling is what the schools do, and that's not education. So I try. I'm trying to make a division. But also, but I'm going further. I'm going further. No, don't don't apologise. Everybody's doing it. Even even people who are doing very well in terms of the provisions they're offering for home educators call it homeschooling because they've still not got past that slight bit of programming that we've all been through because we have. Also, we've all been through that system ourselves and the programming is strong. So I'm, I'm encouraging people to like to just shift the language. Don't Let's not talk their language. Let's have our own. And I actually call my lot guerrilla edders because we need to be a bit more guerrilla style. I actually encourage the parents to spread the word, but do it quietly. Yeah. Spread the word, you know, in their, just, just locally because I, I appreciate that they want to keep their heads down because of social services and those sorts of awful people who get involved where they shouldn't. And I, I say to them, look, don't you fight. You've got children. Your fight is, is through your children. What you, the, if you raise your children in a beautiful manner, in accordance with nature, um, then you've already, you've already won the battle because your children are the living, breathing example of what we want, um, you know, what, of what we want to come about into the world. So I say, look, let gobsheens like me do the uh, do the shouting and, and the screeching about home education for you. You just do it quietly in your community. Okay. Do the job, do it well, and, and spread it spread it guerrilla style. Don't let's not try and exactly. go out on these big platforms because they will come after you. And da da da. Why can't the people who have already got the big platforms start telling the truth? You know, and that I take my hat off to you because you you don't shy away from anything at all. You know, you 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 go for it both barrels, and I you know, I really admire you for that. And I I think that people should um pay you the the respect you you deserve because and I know that you have a a, a huge following of, of of loyal and wonderful people but you know even your, your adversaries should uh, give credit where credit is due because you know you're doing the real work and I and I thank you very much indeed for that I really appreciate what you're what you're doing for everybody oh well you Sarah what you're doing is fundamental it's so important you know because it's really the children are all that matter at this stage you know so we, we have to save them, protect them and give them the future that they deserve and the freedom that they deserve. So thank you for all you're doing and thank you for inviting me on your great podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for coming. And for those of you who might not be aware of Gemma's work, um, I had the privilege of watching uh, her, docu- her awesome documentary on the Mary Boyle case last night and I can highly recommend that. It's stunning work. Um, she lays out the case beautifully the interviews are extremely well done. And I have to say that it's unusual in, in the truth community, if you will, to see something where the evidence is just presented and uh, Gemma just trusts the audience to make up their own minds. And I, I urge you, I'm not going to say uh, very much more about uh, that documentary. It's the Mary Boyle documentary. I think you should go and check it out, uh, listeners, because I, I don't want to say too much. I, I literally want you to watch it. And I, I think you'll just know what I mean, but you're being invited to analyze the evidence, use your discernment and come to your own conclusions. And I, I really, that's hard to do. I'm, I'm guilty sometimes of not being able to do that because I'm so eager for people to realize what's happening. I think it's uh, it, it must have taken great restraint to, to give that such a 
such an it was it was done with such even handedness, and I you know I I really that that's something that I think is a, a true art, particularly in the climate in which we live. So congratulations on that. It's a stunning piece of Thank of you. journalism and uh, documentary filmmaking. So well done. Thank you. I love it. Please tell us before you go, where can we find you? Where can how how do people get in touch with you? How do people find your work? Where where should they go? Well, gemodoherty.com, gemodoherty.com with a G and no apostrophe. And uh, don't go to Wikipedia because that's all lies. Uh, I'm also on Getter and then the irishlightpaper.com, irishlightpaper.com. So my work is is all there on gemodoherty.com primarily. I shall make sure the links are underneath and um, I will make sure that the, there are some clickable links underneath the the little article that goes with the podcast on Substack. So Not at all. Thank you very much indeed for coming. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with a bang. The new academic year, not the school year. No, no, no. The new academic year is up and running. Uh, and I invite you to go and get stuck into Gemma's work. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, your child can either be educated or schooled, educated or schooled. And these things are mutually exclusive. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.